It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. Going to do a real deep dive today, so buckle up. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this podcast anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Podbean, Himalaya, Google Podcasts, whatever you like. And if you don't like any of those services, or if you're a commuter that can't be looking at your phone while you're trying to find your favorite podcast, you can always just ask your smart device, play podcast Locked on Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today we're going to go really deep into some of the stuff from the Atlanta Falcons game, specifically the zone run scheme. Of course, that was kind of the star of the game. They ran like 37 times. A lot of it was zone. They ran pretty much every variant of zone that there is, and they put on pretty much a clinic on like how to do it for all of them, which means for a guy like me, I get to use that to learn more about those variants of zone and what the point of them is and and just kind of the basics of like how a zone works. And so I figured that would be an appropriate topic for the episode because we're going to see plenty of that. But first, a couple of quick items of news we should talk about. Uh, there has been no update so far on Mackenzie Alexander's elbow. He w- underwent an MRI on Monday, but we haven't heard back uh, the results from that. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see what happens on the injury report and stuff. Wouldn't be surprised to hear that he will miss some time, but I don't think it'll be that significant. I know that dislocated elbows, typically they, d- they don't go past like four games. And there's a chance that Mike Hughes will play, as Mike Zimmer said in his press conference on Monday. Uh, elsewhere in more whiskey rumors, uh, there is a, a wind picking up that Brett Jones might be re-signed by the Vikings. Now, we talked about Brett Jones on uh, the episode, I think an episode last week, when he was cut to make room for Josh Doxson. And that was a little bit surprising, right? Because he was one of the better offensive linemen on the second team in the preseason, didn't seem like he deserved to be cut. Uh, but there was kind of always a whisper that this was a wink-wink, nudge-nudge deal. They didn't clean out his locker or anything, or they didn't like uh, replace his locker or anything like that. And they basically said, yeah, you know, stick around, don't leave town, we might bring you back next week. And it appears that that is what might happen as early as, like, today when you're listening to this podcast. And then maybe instead you cut somebody like Mark Fields, who had a really poor showing uh, against Atlanta. And I'm not sure what the conditions on the conditional seventh round pick that the Vikings sent to the Chiefs for him actually are. Uh, but I do know that it has something to do with the number of games that he's active for, so if he does end up getting cut, it would probably void the seventh round pick, and then you can probably stash him on the practice squad at this point while, you know, everybody's rosters are, are well locked in and kind of have your cake and eat it too. That would, I guess, I guess be what, like, I would do, but then again, I'm, I'm not that in sync with the uh, coaches' opinions on their own players, so we'll see what happens, but I'm not going to spend a bunch of time talking about it because I want to spend a bunch of time talking about the Vikings whooping the crap out of the Atlanta Falcons, especially in the run game. So I'm going to start with the bitter, the negative stuff, and then we can get on to the fun stuff with the zone run scheme later. Uh, but I think one of the big headlines that came out of, you know, once we got all the like stats down and, and especially like the PFF grades, Garrett Bradbury had a PFF grade of 0.0 in pass blocking. So obviously that's something that should like raise some alarm bells. Like what in the world happened? Because in that game, I, I, you know, 
we noticed a couple of pass protection issues, but I don't think we were watching, or at least I wasn't watching, close enough to actually like know who to assign them to. So I went back and rewatched, and yeah, I kind of get it. I mean, he only was on the field for 10 or 11 uh, passing snaps. There were 10 attempts and one sack. Uh, the one sack, I think, was more on Pat Elfline. Garrett Bradbury was assigned one pressure, but a 0.0 is like quite a lot. And you know, the, the PFF guys talked a ton. They, they wrote a whole article. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, all, all of the graders were basically like, yeah, Garrett Bradbury and Pat Elfline had their lunch ate by Grady Jarrett. And essentially, if you just watch the whole game with just an eye on Grady Jarrett against those two guys, yeah, it was kind of a bloodbath, as uh, Sam Monson put it. Grady Jarrett whooped him. And, and that's okay, because, like, this is kind of what I'm, I'm talking about when I say, like, yeah, if the three technique beats the crap out of the left guard the Vikings still beat the crap out of the Falcons. There was a lot more good going on that could kind of overshadow and cover up that issue. It is absolutely an issue. It caused a bunch of ruined plays, and that is a, a, a struggle that the Vikings are just going to kind of have to deal with throughout the entire season here because, you know, Dakota Dozier and Brett Jones are not going to be better against guys like Akeem Hicks and Fletcher Cox and this, like, murderer's row of defensive tackles that the Vikings have to go up against this year. So a, a little bit concerning that, you know, the rookie's debut, the first-round rookie's debut, was uh, less than stellar. It's not going to get any easier from here on out, and we'll just kind of have to see if he can pull it together. At the same time, it's his first game in the NFL. I'm not about to, you know, start crying bust or anything like that, and I don't think anybody is. That would be kind of insane. On the flip side, obviously the defensive player that that had, you know, the the best, unanimously the best game was obviously Anthony Harris, although I feel like Daniel Hunter deserves an honorable mention because he notched 10 pressures. Uh, for context, if you watched the Thursday night game against Chicago, or with Chicago and, and Green Bay, Green Bay notched 14 pressures as an entire team, and it kind of felt like watching that game that, you know, Mitch Trubisky was kind of running for his life a whole bunch. All of Green Bay notched 14, and the Vikings notched 14 between Daniil Hunter and pick your choice between Everson Griffin and Anthony Barr, both of whom had four pressures. So a lot of confirming stuff that we already saw. I didn't really see the severity of, of Garrett Bradbury's bad day. I don't think it was as severe as a 0.0. I don't think that, that the PFF grades quite, uh, I think they're a little bit too alarmist on him. And especially with pass blocking grades, it's a small sample. I actually did reach out to somebody from PFF and I said, hey, you know, what gives on like this grade and that grade? And he essentially said, listen, the sample sizes are small right now on these grades and don't, don't take them to heart too seriously. Yeah, Garrett Bradbury had a bad day, but I don't think anybody at PFF is about to go on and and say, and he's going to continue to have all the worst days forever, and he's bad. He got beat up by an all-world three technique. That's life. Now, before we go real deep into some X's and O's here, I want to talk to you quickly about my bookie. I started figuring, you know what? I've gotten pretty good at predicting football, understanding football, you know, kind of getting to the truth of the matter, and that helps me project things forward. I might as well try to make a buck off of that. So I, somebody who has never bet on a sports game in his life, decided to go to my bookie and actually uh, throw down a few bucks on the Thursday night Bears-Packers game. I bet the under and I won, which is awesome. And what really struck me about mybookie.ag, the website, is just how like easy it is to navigate. I kind of, you know, looked and I said, all right, you know, I want to bet the under on Chicago Green Bay. I think that both of those defenses are better than we think. I think both of those offenses are worse than we think. And, and I want to bet the under. And I, I did all my research and I decided I wanted to bet the under. And it took me like two clicks to get to like under, boom, bet. And, and I was done. And I had to, you know, make the deposit, enter promo code locked on, of course, because if you do that, they'll double your first deposit up to 500 bucks. And now I have like a whole new thing that I get to pay attention to and root for in games that I would otherwise have no rooting interest in. 
It's really fun, but that's probably not news to all of you degenerates out there. You're going to be betting on football anyway, so why not go use my bookie? And if you're feeling more confident than I am, you could try a parlay. Pick a bu- pick multiple games, and your winnings will grow exponentially. So go check out mybookie.ag today. Use promo code LOCKEDON to double your first deposit. Bet, win, get paid. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, everybody, have I teased you enough? Let's talk about these zone runs. So the basic overall point of a zone run, this is, I'm sorry if this is redundant for a lot of you. I've talked about this a couple other times on the podcast, and I'm sure a lot of you who played in high school or college already know. But just in case, let's start from the ground up. So the point of a zone run is essentially to take advantage of of the dynamic between the defense and the gaps that the defenders are trying to cover. So essentially, as a defender, when you're covering the run, your job is going to be like a gap. So the, the, you know, the coach will say between the guard and the tackle on this side, that is your job. If the running back goes through that gap, it's your job to tackle them. And then they assign a defender to each gap. And that's typically how run defense is constructed. So that whole thing gets a lot harder if you move the gaps. And that's why you always see the Vikings run plays and a whole bunch of teams do this. This is very popular. But that's why you see the the offensive line like all kind of flow to one direction or another to move those gaps. And that creates this kind of flowing momentum that then you can do certain stuff to take advantage of. And the zone scheme is also designed to combat a pretty common problem with run plays. Think about a typical run play. You've probably got, you know, a, a, a fullback, a tight end, and five offensive linemen. So you got seven blockers, or maybe it's two tight ends and, and five linemen or what, whatever, right? You've got, you've got, say, seven blockers against seven defenders. If one of those guys loses, Suddenly there's a defender in the backfield making a tackle. So you kind of have to go seven for seven, and that makes rushing really, really hard to like pull off. That's why so many run plays go for one or two yards. Now zone runs, or at least the Kubiak, Denison-style zone runs that I'm going to be talking about today, are designed so that if one guy messes up, the running back can read that and change the direction of the run, and then the run is set up to succeed elsewhere. And so there's three main reads in a zone run. So if you imagine, you know, the offensive line and the tight end or whatever, and everybody kind of flowing one direction, there's usually one key defender, usually a, a defensive tackle. In the Falcons game, it was very often Grady Jarrett. And honestly, it's kind of a good thing when the key that you're reading is the best player, you know, the Aaron Donald, the Grady Jarrett, the Fletcher Cox, because the read is designed around no matter where he goes, you go the other way. So typically the guard is trying to reach block that defensive tackle. And what that means is you're supposed to go to his play side number and hit him there. 
play side meaning the side that the play is going to. So essentially you are going to start behind where he is, you're going to have to run faster than him, get to the front side of him, and then hit him there. It's a really, really hard block to pull off, and naturally it's something that offensive linemen can't really do consistently. So there's typically three different reads on a zone play that the running back is choosing from. One is bang, and this is probably the one where everything goes right, it's a bang read, and that means you go right up the gap you were supposed to go up. That's the one where the guard has actually achieved that that really hard reach block gotten his hips turned around and has his back to the gap that you're supposed to be running through and the other guard is blocking the other defensive tackle the same way although thankfully he doesn't have to to reach the guy and the center has climbed up to the the uh, middle linebacker usually and is sealing that guy off. So essentially you kind of have this like three point lane where you can then get into the second level and then, you know, the damage is done. But it is all too common that that guard does not actually get the reach. He can't get to the, the front side, the play side of that defensive tackle. It's really hard to do. And sometimes he just has to do one of two things, either close the curtain. I think I talked about this in a, in a preseason recap, but essentially you're supposed to kind of grab their backside shoulder and just like yank them down as hard as you can in that like curtain closing moment. Sometimes it gets the guy on the ground and you win the block that way. Or you seal them off from uh, from the, the backside, from the side that you're on anyways. Just get your hands on him and stop him from getting to the runner. And the runner is supposed to identify, oh, he didn't get to his reach block. I'm going to cut back. And essentially that's the cut back. It's called a bend read. That's the second of the, of the three reads is a bend. And you can kind of visualize why that works, right? The entire zone is running to, say, the left. The whole line and the defense is everything is, is running to the left. And the running back will kind of start to the left and then bend back to the right as he reads that the reach block didn't work out. And that was actually the read, if you remember, in the Arizona preseason game, that long 85-yard Dalvin Cook touchdown. That was a bend read. There was a touchdown in this one that was the third kind of this, a, a bounce read. So a bounce read is if, say, the reach block worked out well, but the front side guard got beat on his block on the defensive tackle because he's going to have to kind of go, you know, one-on-one -on -one with that defensive tackle too. Sometimes the center will get like a jab on one of these guys on their way up to the linebacker. That's called a combo block. But oftentimes that guard has a really, really difficult job. And if you give up a bunch of penetration or if you don't quite get there, then it is a bounce read, and that means you bounce it outside. So essentially, as the running back, you're reading the defensive tackles and how well they did against typically the guard. Sometimes it's a tackle or a center, depending on the actual variant on zone. And then there are things like outside zone and inside zone that are basically defined on like how, like which gap the bang read is supposed to go through, like what the kind of plan A is, and also things like split zone. Now, if you remember the second Dalvin Cook touchdown in this Atlanta Falcons game, that was split zone, which is a play that's supposed to basically take advantage of the fact that when a defense sees a zone run, they're basically going to flow that way like zombies, and you could just run the other way and bring a tight end across to help you lead block and pretty much have like kind of one-on-one with nobody in front of you. And essentially that's what got set up on that second Dalvin Cook touchdown, and Irv Smith hits his block, Dalvin Cook pushes in, and it's an easy touchdown. So what do you need from your offensive lineman to do this? Well, we've talked a whole bunch during draft time, and if you're paying attention during all that, like what the Vikings are interested in, you need kind of athletic offensive linemen, because they have to do everything that offensive linemen typically do while also moving to the left or right. So you need to have a certain degree of agility to pull that off. There's some terminology that you should probably know about, like the types of blocks that offensive linemen need to pull off. There's, of course, the reach block. I've already talked about that. There's some standard blocking. 
and then there's also the combo block and what that means is usually you have like a double team on that main guy that Grady Jarrett or whoever it is on that team it usually starts as a double team and then one of the linemen will kind of work their way up and find a linebacker in the second level and that's kind of how it's supposed to be constructed so you get like hat on a hat or a guy on a guy and sometimes that double team is very short-lived sometimes you know the only thing that the guy who's trying to go get the linebacker like his only job in that double team is to just get a jab to the chest of the defensive lineman just screw up the leverage just a little bit and then the guard should be able to finish things up from there and as a defensive lineman it's really hard to beat combo blocks especially when they're well executed and in this particular game against the Falcons the Vikings did a great job with all of their combo blocks there's also pinning and pulling a pin pull is a, a type of zone run where instead of everything kind of lining up like you know just block the guy straight in front of you you'll kind of switch so there was actually one on one of the big runs there's a big thread of all this and I'll link a bunch of materials in the show notes for you to get you know perspectives on this that are that are smarter about it than I am one from a, uh, a Bills analyst who was covering this when they hired Rick Dennison a couple years ago one from the Eagles who ran a very similar system some time ago and the thread that I posted of some examples from mostly the Atlanta game of all of these reads and all this stuff I'm talking about so you can kind of have a visual aid while I'm talking about all this but essentially the point of a pin is very similar to a trap play in other uh, run schemes essentially if you have a guy like Grady Jarrett going up against a guy like Pat Elfline it's kind of dumb to just expect that to work out so instead you take somebody else in this case it was like Brian O'Neill and have him pull all the way across the formation or instead of you know blocking a guy in front of him he steps back and he moves elsewhere in the formation and hit Grady Jarrett from the side meanwhile Pat Elfline goes and blocks somebody else and you and Grady Jarrett thinks he's getting in scot-free and not being blocked by anyone and then you know somebody comes out of nowhere and clocks him from the side and when you're blocking someone from the side it kind of doesn't matter that they're an all pro because you've won the leverage battle and then you have everybody else's block just kind of like slide over one to make up for the right tackle that's now no longer on the play side there's a whole bunch of like more variants uh that i would just love to talk about but that's basically how kubiak's zone scheme worked and in the atlanta falcons game they did a great job executing all this and it turned into tape that was like clean enough for me to actually just watch it and be like oh yeah that's how it works and gain a much better understanding of zone schemes in general and the specifically kubiak denison one that's been around for forever now there's one more discussion that i want to have based on some of mike zimmer's comments in his monday presser but first i just want to tell you that if you are the kind of person that likes to go to Vikings games or other stuff, concerts, shows, whatever, make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get your to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout and receive a discount of up to $100. So one last word on the zone schemes before I move on. Uh, there is something really cool going on here that I think is actually a big key to why it worked so well against Atlanta, and that's pre-snap motion. And essentially the strategy behind this is to take one of the defenders out of the place that they are in right now because you want to run at that place. So So there's like hat counts, right? You divide the field in half, a left side and a right side. The center doesn't count in either. And you count, you know, do I have enough blockers for how many defenders there are? If you have, you know, if there's four blockers and four defenders, I call that a neutral box or a zero box. If you have more blockers, it's a plus box. And if you have less blockers, it's a minus box. Don't run into minus boxes. Obviously, you don't have enough guys to block their defenders. And I see teams running into minus boxes all the time. And honestly, I think that most coaches have checks built in for that. And it's just a matter of like young quarterbacks not making the read or not, you know, being trusted to make the audible and, you know, just kind of having to execute the play call. I think if you don't give your quarterback license at the line of scrimmage to do that kind of stuff, you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot. 
And even in neutral boxes or zero boxes, you still are kind of taking a risk, right? The same thing I talked about at the, at the top of the show. If you have, you know, four guys on one side and they have four guys on that side, you kind of need all four of those guys to win, your win their blocks. Otherwise, the whole play could get blown up. And if one of those four guys is a tight end and one of their four guys is the cornerback who's defending that tight end, which was the case a whole bunch against Atlanta, then you can motion that tight end across the formation away from where the play is going to go. That corner is going to follow him there and suddenly you have three on three which is way better than four on four and here's where this gets really really cool and really exciting eventually teams are going to catch on to this right and they're going to say oh every time they motion they they run to the side that they just motioned a guy out of now that's a tendency and we're going to use it to like predict the plays but how do you counter that, right? Like, what do you do? And you say, okay, now we know they're going to run to this side. What do we do? Well, you kind of have to keep another person there, right? Or you kind of like have the, like you start responding to motion differently. You don't have someone just follow across the formation and out of that side of the box. Maybe you just shift that responsibility. You tell your defenders when they motion, you just become that guy's responsibility and some things shuffle around. Now everybody knows their guy. And if we communicate well, we'll just be able to kind of make that something that, that doesn't hurt us anymore. But if teams start doing that, that is highly abusable because whose responsibility do you become? If you are, say, the cornerback in charge of guarding Adam Thielen and you don't want to follow Adam Thielen across the formation because you're worried they're going to run right there and they're trying to lure you out of position, then who picks up Adam Thielen on the other side? Is it going to be a linebacker? That seems like actually a pretty good way to get Adam Thielen on a linebacker. It's actually something that John Filippo managed to pull off a whole bunch of times in the early part of 2018. And it was a huge part of that whole 100-yard streak. That is a tendency that if defenses start to do that to try to take away the Vikings' ability to like motion people out of where they, you know, out of the box and out of where they want them to be, you can just flip that right around and really abuse it in the pass game. Not to mention, and we actually saw this on the, the long throw to digs, and that's also uh, in the thread where I broke down all the zone plays, uh, we also see that that pre-snap motion is really good at forcing the opposing team to declare its coverage. Essentially, if you send a, a wide receiver from one spot to another and the guy covering him just follows him step for step, that means that it's man coverage, right? He's got that man. But if he passes the guy off to another defender, then you know that it's zone coverage and that can drastically change what the quarterback's plan of action is when the, the play actually starts. It's really, really valuable information at least, and at best it moves guys out of the way so that you can get successful run plays, something that the Vikings like abused with the Falcons in this game. So now I want to move on to a discussion that I wanted to have about just the game script and kind of how everything went down. Essentially, there's a lot of weird takes that have come out of how this Vikings game specifically has gone down. There's been a lot of stuff about how, like, so the, the Falcons ended up actually outgaining the Vikings in this game by, like, 80 yards, by, like, a, a pretty decent margin. Obviously, if you watch the game, you know that, like, that doesn't really represent how things went because there's a lot of garbage time going on, and it's yet another reason why, like, total yards don't matter. Uh, but, you know, the Kirk Cousins doesn't have that impressive of a, of a stat line. He's got, like... 8 for 10 for 98 and a touchdown. Those aren't world-beating numbers. And there's also some weird, like, takery happening with how the Vikings actually won. They ran the ball, like, 37 times. They passed it 
they dropped back at least 11 times, and a lot of people are kind of taking that mess of things and drawing whatever conclusion they want about it and kind of confirming what they already thought. So I'm here to tell you like what lessons you can actually learn, because I think there's a lot of lessons that you can't learn from this game. Like you can't learn the lesson that, oh, you know, winning with good defense and running the ball is really the key to, to winning in today's NFL and you just got to pound them. No, that is not how this game went down at all, right? There was, you know, two, two turnovers right off the bat. The game script was completely thrown out of whack by, this is a stat that uh, Nick Olsen posted, the, the win probability for the Vikings was above 99% two minutes into the second half. That means that pretty much everything that happened in the second half was completely warped by what it said on the scoreboard. You also can't really say anything about Kirk Cousins' day just by talking about his stat line, because a game where the quarterback only needs to throw it 10 times and you're ahead by so much at halftime that the play calling starts to change, that's a game that I want every single time. And this is, you know, and I've talked about it a ton on this podcast, so if you're sick of hearing this from me, I'm sorry. But if you're new, here's the thing, 4,000-yard seasons don't mean anything. It's kind of a, a catchphrase that I guess I've started to adopt for myself. But, you know, a lot of what the, the discussion surrounding Kirk Cousins is that he's had like a bunch of consecutive 4,000-yard seasons, but those volume stats don't mean anything, and it's precisely because of games like this, because good quarterbacks, or at least good offenses, will have games where they only need 98 yards out of their passer, and, you know, a bunch of other things went right in the game, and you didn't need a a whole bunch of gaudy statistics. So you kind of put the quarterback on ice for now, and he's ready to go for next week. But using Kirk Cousins' total yards, that 98 yards, as any sort of referendum on how good he was in this game is, is a fool's errand. I thought he had a really good game. There's the one play that bugged me, I, but whatever. He had a good game. I saw the take a little bit, uh, a, a couple of different times around the, the interwebs, as it were, uh, that, you know, oh, you paid him $84 million to, to pass 10 times, and Mike Zimmer's going to be this guy that, like, runs through Dalvin Cook when he just invested all this money into Thielen and Diggs and Cousins, and and I think that that's just such a foolish way to interpret this game. And and I think here's, here's the ultimate point. If you look at the way that the Vikings passing offense operated in this game, if you look at eight for 10 and a sack and a touchdown and 98 yards, and you say, wow, that wasn't a very good passing game. I think you should really take a step back and reevaluate what you, what, what a good passing game would look like to you. Because I think like a good passing game doesn't always end up in a bunch of yards. A lot of times a good, like the best passing game is the one that you don't end up needing because you're shellacking the other team in like every other phase of the game. The thing about passing is it's what teams that are losing do. When you are behind in a game, you pass. And if you are behind in a game, there's likely something that went wrong. And very often, it's something that went wrong with the passing. I I always think of, like, Blake Bortles as the ultimate example to this. He would throw a bunch of picks, get behind in the game, and then rack up a bunch of garbage time stats, and he'd be a fantasy football god. And then people would misinterpret that as him actually being a good quarterback, and then they would find something, oh, the defense and the offensive line, or they don't have receivers, they find, find something else to blame, and then they'd draft Leonard Fournette fourth overall. So here's the ultimate conclusion to, like, all of this. You can't win a game running the ball 35 times every time. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of fluky stuff that led this particular game to go down that way and for it to be the right call this time, but it would be foolish to assume that it would be the right call all the time, and I feel like people are making that leap kind of irresponsibly. And even Mike Zimmer himself was like, yeah, no, I I know that not every game's going to go down that way, but I'm also not going to apologize for calling this game that way because the way the game flowed, that was the correct call, to run the ball a whole bunch and run out a bunch of clock because it was the third quarter and we were up 28-0. 
nothing. Oh, and by the way, we generated like four or five explosive plays off of all those run plays, which is also kind of a helpful factor. I would honestly be shocked if that wasn't the most run-heavy game of the entire season, of the entire Kubiak-Stefanski era for the Vikings. It was a, a quite the outlier for a week one game. Week one tends to produce weird results like that. And Mike Zimmer knows it's not the norm. I know it's not the norm. And you should also know that it's not the norm. It's not going to be the norm. And to act like it is the norm or that Mike Zimmer even wants it to be the norm is, I think, just misreading the situation here. A lot more games in this season are going to come down to Kirk Cousins' arm and how far he can take the Vikings. And for that, we'll just have to wait and see. So that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. Tomorrow is Crossover Wednesday. I'm going to be uh, hopping on the line with Peter Bukowski of Locked on Packers. I cannot wait to heckle him and bully him. That will be very fun. And then the show after that will be an in-depth preview of the Packers and what they do and, and maybe ways that the Vikings can possibly gain an advantage against them. Uh, we'll talk about all that in the, the rest of the week here. But in the meantime, you can always find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, and you can always ask your smart device like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, play podcast Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow with Peter Bukowski and Crossover Wednesday, and as always, Skull. Hey, Locked on Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked on Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Lockdown Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Lockdown Wild to your device every day.